Welcome to the Gold Digger podcast series, a series that investigates the mysterious decline of Australian rugby union. It's a fan's journey into the void to pick up the pieces of Australian rugby union and find a path forward to fortune and glory. I'm your host and humble rugby servant, Matt Durrant, and welcome to episode 39. And welcome back, stranger. It's been quite, quite the year. Uh, from my end, I have been incredibly busy. Uh, I have up sticks and moved house, moved countries. I now live in the US. Uh, it's been quite a wild ride for me personally, and things like podcasts have somewhat had to take a, uh, a back, back seat. Uh, with that said, there's also, also been a hell of a lot happening in the rugby world, and quite frankly, it's hard to keep up. Um, I think, uh, you know, the year that was will always be 2023, uh, the train wreck that some perhaps saw coming or others didn't. I'm going to discuss 2023 with someone else, which I'll mention in a minute. But in the meantime, I want to make a couple of big announcements. Uh, Firstly, Gold Digger, Search for Australian Rugby, the film, is now available in the Apple Store. Finally. It's taken so long. I want it to be a lot earlier than this, trust me, but out of my control. Uh, it is now available in Australia on Fox Doco still, Binge TV, where you can also uh, watch it, but it's also available now through the Apple Store for rent or purchase. It's also available on the Apple Store in New Zealand and the UK, but it's also going to be available in the US and other territories, uh, I hope, in the coming weeks. Uh, There are just some delays, uh, a staggered release uh, with the way Apple works. Um, Check the social media for announcements, Facebook, uh, X, formerly Twitter, and Instagram. We also have put together a book. Buy a bee's dick in time for Christmas, so you can buy it as a present, or you can just get it for the holiday period to have a a bit of a read uh, and a post-mortem analysis on what's happened to Australian rugby. The book... Uh, is some additional thoughts, insights, things have changed since the film came out and I wanted to just put something together that accounted for some of those changes but uh, a lot of the book has conversations with the various people who I've interviewed, not just in the film but also for podcasts. So it's a collective number of voices and conversations about what's gone on in Australian rugby. I think it should be Hopefully a good read for people. There may be some things that are new to you. There may be some things that aren't. But overall, I think it just puts together a varied take on where things are at. And I think it's still very timely uh, in 2023, given everything that's happened. That book is available as a Kindle uh, on Amazon. And the paperback is also available via Amazon. So please uh, download it. I'm going to also let you know that in... The lead up to Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, the book's going to be available for free as a down, as an ebook download. So that's the red hot announcement for those that are, are listening to this: is get on Amazon Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and you can download the book for free. It'll then go back up uh, to its regular price after Christmas. Um, please review it, pass comment, uh, as honest as you want. Uh, that also helps get uh, a bit of coverage and visibility on the platform. 
Uh, you know, I went to France for the World Cup. I was there. I had um, seats at the front row seats to the slaughter at Wales. Went to the game at Fiji, which was hell of an experience. All I can say was it was a great trip. The rugby may not have been anything to brag about, but family, friends, France, wine, cheese, beautiful countryside. And I also had great opportunities to meet up with many people who I'd been speaking to for the last few years online, but never actually met in person. Uh, you know, some of our Twitter folk, Julie, Rob Mackay, Hugh, uh, who I met for the second time. Great, great, great people. Uh, Harry, finally met Harry from the draft rugby in person and Mitch from Rugby Fixation, albeit very briefly at halftime in the Fiji match. And Mick Collis as well from the Rugby Wrap. Uh, almost met Rugby Reg. Unfortunately, we were ships in the night. And there were a lot of people at some speaking events. There was a great speaking event on the day of the, the Wales game where Morgan Turanui, Sean Maloney, Harry uh, and Jeff Parks, Harry Jones and Jeff Parks from the Rugby Raw um, had a little panel. And it was great. A lot of people there were just, you know, I think enjoying everyone's company. You know, it's what rugby people do best is when they go, go a season, follow games and have a drink before and after the game. The rest of my thoughts, I'm going to be sharing them with Blake from the Rugby Report card. I've, I've managed to convince uh, one third of them at least to come and join me. Um, I'm sure if anyone's downloading this podcast, they've, they've heard the Rugby Report card. Great blokes, combination of insights, hot takes, but above all passion, absolute passion for all things Australian rugby, which is why I think their podcast is so, so listened to and is part of the the furniture, it feels like. Uh, I'm going to be honest, this may be it from me for a while. I've got a few other projects going on, and if I'm being frank, I think I need a break from just overthinking a lot of what's been going on for the last four years, if not last few decades in Australian rugby. It's, it's time to just get back to watching and enjoying the game, watching rugby. But I'll be keeping tabs, and... I have no doubt that there are still more surprises in store in the next 12 months. Already today, we're hearing rumblings about the Melbourne Rebels going through their financial issues, and I've got no doubt that they're not the only ones. So, you know, I'll be I'll be watching, but I can always be contacted via social media through the pages, the Gold Digger pages. Just send me a DM. It's always been great to connect with people. It's been one of the joys of this whole journey is uh, meeting new people and and re-engaging with rugby. It's partly what it's all been about for me. So for now, here's me and Blake going through the bloody year that was 2023. Oh, there you go. Um, We're on. Happy days. Yeah, you'd think for someone who's uh, <clears throat> been running a podcast and, and in the media would have a better grasp of the technology, but <laughs> um, it doesn't seem to always, uh, as I said, less stressful than when I had to talk to Eddie Jones earlier the year and uh, Zoom was, uh, and, and and Eddie and Zoom are obviously uh, uh, common bedfellows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's quite a favour with the technology, I think. Um, Blake, welcome to the the, the pod. Um, it's it's an honour to have uh, one of the three amigos from uh, the Rugby Report card with us. Uh, you guys obviously have been potting for a while, but I also was looking back and thinking you guys have been covering probably a, a tumultuous uh, period in Australian rugby. There's there's always there's never seems like there's anything. Uh, 
any shortage of subjects to talk about. Yeah, I, I think um, that's always been fascinating to us. It started just as a fan podcast, right? And then it just seemed to coincide with the utter disaster that is Australian rugby. So it was never our intention to be cynical, comic, or even lean into hyperbole. We wanted to talk you know, hit-ups, tactics, be a fan. And if anything, I think if you cut together our years of podcasting, we've just documented the utter shit fuckery of Australian rugby. But the funny thing is that I'm sort of often looking at good podcasts. I listen to a few podcasts, but why your, your sticks out is you guys have three very different takes. Obviously, you and, you know, Jim kind of might land on the same issue, but then again, there's always different takes. But then you got Richard, who's the classic POM, but you know, who's very knowledgeable, loves his stats, and is almost like he's the ca- <laughs> he's that counterbalance to the external view that most perhaps Australian rugby groups don't have. Um, but yes, he's obviously he, very he engaged. The a bit. Yeah, and I must admit, I've I've never once known what Jim was talking about. So <laughs> to say we're on the same page, I'll take that as a win. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, I, I I haven't done anything all year. And funnily enough, the last podcast I did was my 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 exciting interview where I think I pretty much peaked and almost like gave up the the gig was interviewing Eddie Jones in January um, before he got the Wallaby coach. And of course, after that, he seemed to interview with just about everyone uh, that stuck a mic in his face. Um, but uh, geez, it's been a hell of a year since then. Um Hasn't it been a hell of a year? <laughs> I, 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 we may as well start with the obvious, and I know that um, you you had uh, your your you you guys were following the story as it was breaking. You'd be following the season, and obviously the umbrage levels uh, on your pod were at uh, an all time high. Mate, talk me through where do you sort of where are you sitting right now as a Wallaby fan in you know December of twenty twenty three? Yeah, I guess. Um... I'll put it this way. I wish I didn't know any of the high-performing businessmen's name. I'm a rugby fan. I should be talking about rugby players and tactics, and I feel like all I've spoken about is coaches, CEOs, boardmen, chairmen, advisors to boards. Um, I'm a sports fan. I'm not a. I'm not in rugby for the politics, and I, and I sort of resent that that's what has sucked up the oxygen in Australian rugby. I, I distinctly remember first game, Tars vs Brumbies, brand new stadium at the SFS, going out to watch it. I'm a Brumbies fan, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking for the good of Australian rugby, I hope the Tars win this. And brand new stadium, big crowd, sets this year off and we're ready to go. And uh, like most Australian fans, I was amenable to the Eddie Jones thing. Uh, we had Hamish on our podcast and I was excited I thought let's bring on let's bring on the drama of a rugby world cup year and bit by bit I, I don't think you can express how bad it went yeah. um in in every single level and every single stage and I sort of um I feel exhausted and I'm enjoying the cricket um <laughs> I, I, just, I felt a bit done with the rugby Australian rugby media circus um and I'm pretty excited for a fresh start next season um, and I want to be optimistic and I want to be positive. But with that said, I am happy to lean into um, and just run a train on the last 12 months because I think part of my frustration was I felt like I was one of the first to jump off Eddie's bandwagon. Mm. Um, when I And I just felt like I was screaming into a brick wall 
of Australian rugby fans who rightfully so didn't want to believe it, um, didn't want to believe that this wasn't going to pan out. And I think it was a frustration, you know, from the Akubras, from the media, from the selection, take whatever you like. It just, I felt like I was standing there and this thing is going pear-shaped and no one wants to acknowledge it. It's interesting you say because I, I, you know, having chatted to a few people, players and stuff, there were definitely people who were pretty, they weren't excited, let me put it that way. They were very hesitant. And I, you, you almost read between the lines when you listen to ex-players talk about him, it's almost like it's equal parts respect, equal parts fear. And I sometimes wonder whether that fear is not a good fear, but, a, oh, you know, this could go really horribly badly. Um, and, 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 what sort of bothered me from the get-go was I never thought I've never I've thought for a long time that coaches are not our answer, but I was very concerned that Rugby Australia was seeing this as a oh well the publicity will be great, and it's like well the publicity is great, but then once we start rugby uh, playing rugby, and if the rugby is not of good quality, all that publicity is all for naught, and we kind of saw that like you know the first January to March, and don't get me wrong, I was just as excited, I was pumped, I probably got the drank a bit of the Eddie Kool-Aid, but once the Super Rugby season came around and then certain things were happening, like you said, press conferences, the the combative Eddie versus the journalist, it just started to feel, and then you throw in obviously the chairman coming in as the sort of blunt instrument as he was, just started to feel like, yeah, this is probably not going to go well because we all knew in our heart of hearts that we, we probably weren't a very good chance in the World Cup. Um, yeah, but I think the frustrating thing, and, and I've said this on Black and Blue, we we could have been and we should have been. I don't think anyone's expecting us to win it. We're not yeah. there. Um, but there was enough talent and we had a once-in-a-generation pool pathway yeah. where you show up and you're in the semifinal. Yeah. Um, and it just felt like to, to, to piss that up the window was just bananas. Yeah. Yeah, and I look, um, you know, the, you, you guys, uh, none of you guys are at the World Cup. Um, I met with, there were a couple of the old kind of podcasts, a lot of, and I'm going to shout them out because a lot of Twitter people who I've, I met for the first time in Leon. And it's funny, everyone I think had the same feeling of resignation, but they're still there because we all believe blindly that, you know what, we're going to, it's going to be that one in 10 game where the Wallabies pull something out and the opposition don't rock up and it's going to be a famous victory. Uh, whereas, you know, and I went with my old man to all the games and we had, and we had the best seats I've ever had at a rugby game for that game at Wales, but it was like, shit, we had, we were front row to the slaughter. It was. Yeah. Um, I, and I mean, how good's that? You're with your old man in Europe, yeah. in France, watching the Wallabies at a world cup. Yeah. It doesn't get better than that for a rugby fan. You wait your whole life for a moment like that. Um, we weren't lucky enough to go and just to see, and I feel so sorry for the players. And, and I kind of felt like on our podcast, I want to talk about players. And, and yeah. part of the fun is we'll lean into shitting on a player. We go a bit hard from time to time. Um, but we weren't even able to do that because they were lambs to the slaughter. Yeah. Uh, and I think what really now, sitting back, really stings is that there were still people, and rightfully so, perhaps just trying to hang in there with the optimism and say 2027, 2027. It never, never flew with me. But I still appreciated that there were that optimists out there, and then for Eddie to cut and run, yeah. like I, for for me to accept it at all, and I I wouldn't anyway. But was mm. at least this okay? He's got a five year plan. 
He's going to get buy-in. He's going to build a culture. We're going to have consistency. Um, Yeah, just it doesn't sit well with me at all. So I'm going to, I'm going to, and this is the thing I've been thinking about this for the last little bit about Eddie. So I'm just as pissed off, I think, as the average person that, He's he he went the way he went with the sort of the just the mind games the 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 bullshit with the you know he got caught out by Tom Deason I think everyone has to accept that the Tom Deason and the masthead they 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 got him <laughs> and and he and it you know what if he had just in a very quick soundbite said yeah I did have a Zoom call I mates with the JRFU they asked my opinion they're recruiting new coach but I'm coming to the Wallabies I sort of feel like that would have been enough for them to go. Okay, we'll buy it. At least you're admitting you've had an interview. But to straight out deny it just created a shitstorm that followed him around for the next three months. And it's lazy sometimes, but I'm going to use the phrase. It was Trumpism. Yeah. It was a it was a Trump flat out blatant lie. I've been caught with my pants down, but I wasn't even clever enough to lie well. So I'm yeah. just gonna mate mate alpha male my way out of this. Yeah. Um, and it just built up that resentment. So, so the flip side to that, which I've thought about a lot, is when I, I spoke to Eddie in January, and this was before he announced the Wallabies. He was still he knew he was getting the job. He obviously wasn't going to break the story to me, but he said to me, "You know, I've got one more job in me." And I, I must admit, I do get the sense for a long time that he is a guy. He's in his twilight years. He probably only has one decent job in him. And how good would it have been? You're an Australian coach. You're back in your your home country. You got lines. You got World Cup. You got a blank check, you know, literally to do what you want. But six months into that job, for whatever reason, he's decided to walk away. That has what, and I feel like the journalists, I don't think as many people are looking at that as closely thinking, well, why does a guy who potentially has the sweetest final gig, why has that not worked? Like, so what is the, because in the last interview with, with Japan, he said that he couldn't, agree with Rugby Australia on the system and the change that had to be made. And I feel like that's something that needs to get focused on more because what are those things? What is that breakdown between him, Phil War, and Hamish McLennan that led to him deciding, bugger it, I'm going to go get a job with Japan? And I think that's where um, what we both do in this space in rugby media is really different. And I think you drill down at that big picture philosophical question. And I think there is definitely some meat on that bone I'm a fan, and as a fan, I need to point my pitchfork at someone, and I see it the other way, which is you're the dream coach who got the dream gig. There's this redemption story after 20 years ago, you're coming back. You're fucked up, mate. You picked kids. You you stuffed it. Do you know what I mean? And I understand that he probably goes to bed at night thinking, I wanted centralisation. I wanted this, I wanted this, and they didn't deliver, so I had to walk away. I see it as you had the gig, you understood that they didn't have those things, you're working towards them. Your primary job was to win a World Cup, mate, or it was at least to to wear the jersey with pride. And you threw out Michael Hooper, you threw out half the old blokes, you picked some kids to get absolutely pumped. And as a fan, the, the buck stops there with me. Um, but I understand the, the the bigger question there, which is why would you walk away after six months? But mine is it was untenable yeah. um, because of his selections. And I actually think if he just went with a, a Dave Rennie-style side with some tweaks around physicality, 
bring a bit of intensity to the training, kept most of the assistant staff on board. We make a World Cup semi-final and he's bought himself two years for the Lions and he can have that fight for centralisation. And I think he he ruined that. Now, as for the, the bigger question for Australian rugby, there's definitely meat on that bone and, and there's definitely investigations that needs to go on there. Um, but I'm probably not the person on the space to get that done. Um, but what I would say, looking at it, I just question how Phil Wall, Joe Roth, Justin Harrison, Daniel Herbert, I'm sure they're all legends. They're legend wallabies. There's no way that they are the best four or five blokes to run a multi-million dollar company. Uh, and I understand if you're Eddie, you're probably looking around thinking, I coached these kids 20 years ago and now they're running this operation. Like the, the whole thing seems bananas for me from the outside and I just want them to sort it out. I just want to buy a wallaby jersey again and, and, <laughs> and watch this go all right. Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, it's, it's a good segue to, you know, we won't talk, we'll move on from all this, but Hamish McLennan has obviously been a central figure in 2023 and he made that great point. And I think it was on, I think the Rugby Raw had a good talk with Jeff Parks and um, and and they they made the, the point around Dan Herbert, is he going to be able to do what McLennan did? Should, despite what people's misgivings about McLennan's style, Mate, he was a Murdoch man. He's a media guy. He's clearly got a business network that extends to other areas. And, you know, credit where credit's due. He 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 got the Channel 9 deal over the line. There's Cadbury, they say. A lot of these sponsors were through his kind of, his wheeling and dealing. And, you know, is, you know, presumably Dan Herbert's going to be an interim, but I do wonder whether or not, despite McLennan maybe ruffling feathers, whether he was the sort of, that business-minded, non-rugby, uh, you know, sort of upper echelon type character that needs the game needs to be able to bring in the commercial side of this. I reckon you're probably spot on, but I reckon again, fan perspective, not yeah. no, not level-headed, not strategically thinking. Heads had to roll after the Eddie debacle, mm -hmm. um, and and that was your captain's call to to get rid of Rennie. You've, you've just got to wear it. I think he should have been replaced with a smart, intelligent businessman or woman who could get, who could come in and, and, and just give it some credibility from a, we, we take this seriously and we take this sensibly. Um, I mean, I look at Phil War, legend, seems like a great bloke. I, I, I know people who used to work with him when he worked at the bank. Mm. He was not ready to be CEO in a couple of years, I'll give you the hot tip. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. My my World Cups, one of my World Cups, I, and you know what? Funnily enough, the World Cup, despite the on-field performance, was so enjoyable. I saw Phil War at the train station in Leon just as he'd arrived. It was after the Fiji loss, and I just was with my dad, and I saw this guy struggling with baggage and kids, and I was just thinking from a distance, oh, you know, I feel sorry for that poor bloke having got kids and literally having done that a week before when we arrived. As we got closer, we we're like, "Shit, it's Phil War with his kids and his family." <laughs> and he saw us because we had the Wallaby kit on, and he gave us a wave. We we're like, "G'day, mate!" He's like, "Oh, you know, have fun, boys. We'll see you Sunday. Better result, hopefully." Obviously, it wasn't. But I just thought, you're right. He's a he's a likable guy. He's a man of the people. He's definitely bleeds gold. He's gone from grassroots all the way to the top. But you're right. It's you know we're now in a situation where they've got to somehow make the work the business of rugby in Australia work and it's not even as simple as making negotiating deals it's now about how to come up with some business innovation to increase the value and I just hope they don't rest on the laurels of thinking it's going to be 
cash times for the Lions, cash times for the Home World Cup, and that'll be the pro- that'll be problem solved. Um, I hope we see innovation over the next four or five years. Because as you said, you know, and I'm I'm kind of the reason this is probably going to be my last pod for a while is I want to put a bottle in thinking about rugby from a, a non-playing perspective. I just want to go back and watch good Super Rugby games. I want to get excited about. Um, uh, Wallaby matches. It's, and this is how far I've actually sunk. Having lived in London for a while, I actually get semi excited about Six Nations now, which is. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's is, grim, isn't it? It is. Because just because the matches and you've got nothing at stake, and you know, rugby's a pretty good high, you know, high quality. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, we, we, we pine. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, for us, that'll be the mantra on the potty next yeah. year, which is let's talk rugby again. Mm. Um, but. There's no confidence. There's no confidence in those blokes that they can run this operation, um, and there's no confidence in in the haphazard chopping and changing, the ability to arrive at centralisation, the ability for money to get to the ground, to the grassroots. It, it'd take four years of um, improved on-field performance, but improved off-field performance and positive media to, to build some trust back up in that space. But I'm happy to say whatever let's just play some good rugby yeah. um but i mate i don't know how close we are there either there's not so, a lot of super rugby squads i'm looking at thinking okay yeah well i mean we'll, we'll talk about that i want to let's let's talk just just on the positive because this is the other thing that is is difficult especially it must be frustrating for rugby australia we have one of the best performing teams right now in the women's sevens and, and sevens in general is quite healthy but certainly the women's team, I think, are probably in a class above the men, in comparatively speaking. But, and I don't know whether you watch sevens, I watch the occasional game. I struggle to get it because it's just not regular time zones. Um, this is the problem, is the one game that we seem to be really good at is not a broadcast-friendly TV, um, you know, TV product. So yeah, it's you like, hit the nail on the head there, mate. We'll be around at the Commonwealth Games, the Olympics, yeah. and Sydney Sevens, because um, there is a Matty Ashby show, Catholic. Like I love watching them. The talent on display is, is off the charts, but it's just it's not available. Like it's too hard to watch. It's not on primetime TV, and that format of Sevens, um, it isn't, you know, it isn't atmospheric. It's yeah. exciting. There's some good skills on display, but there isn't this sense of I'm going to see, you know, test match attrition here. Yeah, um, it, it's skillful, it's brilliant, but it, but yeah, I almost wish that 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 energy was put into the women's fifteens. Yeah, because I think there's a product there you can put on prime time. You can build rivalries, you can have consistencies, and you can start to fill out stadiums. Um, I love the women's sevens, but it's too hard to follow, mate. Yeah, like I love reading that we're winning, and I watch a highlight and go, "How good's Catholic?" Mm. And then I'll get on with my day. So, so one of the silver linings for me, or what I think is, you know, you're looking for opportunities, you, you put nail ahead. Women's 15s. Now, everyone get excited about the Matildas. I did sort of say, you know, to those of my friends who are like, oh, why can't the Wallaroos do that? And I was like, well, it helps when soccer's as global as it is, especially in Australia. But with that said, the Wallaroos, they're clearly investing. They've brought on a um, new coach, uh, Joe Yap from England. There's a high performance team, presumably the best Wallaroos, whether it's 30 or 40 of them, are going to start getting contracts. They're actually well-placed to come in as whatever they are, ranked fifth, sixth in the world, 
and clean up. And I sort of almost feel like this could be the Wallaroos over the next 10 years could be what the Wallabies had in the 80s, which is they they come in and, and, and pronounce themselves. They can take down all the teams, the Red Roses, the, the, the Black Ferns. And that success is then hopefully going to draw people into the game and go, wow, you know, let's back a barrack a winner. But like you said, it, it's a it's a broadcast friendly format, you know, 15s. And um, you know, I I think kind of as much as people kind of say, well, yeah, you know, we've got to try and look at ways in which we can get the wallabies going, I do think, you know, you cannot ignore the opportunity, which is women's sport. And if you've got a team like the Wallaroos, and obviously women's sevens is indicative of the quality and the talent we have um you know that is a massive opportunity a massive growth opportunity in my opinion over the next yeah, ma- massive absolutely massively um and i'll be captivated to watch it i think the issue is women sevens we were one of the first to go professional we recruited yeah. from a bunch of other sports to bring in those those athletes and even um rugby in the 80s and 90s i think league was pushing australian rugby into professionalism quicker than other places. I worry that women's 15 were three years behind the eight ball. Yeah. um, And we're playing catch up rather than jumping ahead. However, I do think the way female sport is played in this country um, and how, you know, there's almost gender parity there in the under 20s and below in every sport, we can can play catch up. um, And and fingers crossed, Australian fans just want success. Yeah. Like the Matildas was phenomenal and it, it coincided with a really important moment in women's sport in this country. But the fact is we were good mm. and we punched above our weight. Um, Australian fans love that. And we, and yeah. We're just, at the yeah. moment, women's seven's the only one giving us that. Everywhere else, there's just a dearth of success. Um, so wherever we find success, whether it's men's 15s or women's 15s, men's super rugby, um, once we find some success, the fans will be there, mate. We're rusted on, but right. it's just how many your, your casuals you lose along the way. Now, you're your school teacher. What what age group do you um, typically um, teach? Or um, I'm the I probably shouldn't say probably deputy of a high school. Ah, okay, right, okay, public so, high school. So, so because um, <clears throat> what I was sort of getting at is, you know, for me, there's a battle for attention of young audiences across the sports spectrum in Australia, like to get kids interested in sports, challenging. But again, the opportunity of, you know, not just boys, but girls as well, who could kind of, you know, be drawn to this game. Yeah, what are some things that you've observed as a teacher? I've heard you guys mention on the pod how, you know, you, you notice that kids at schools just don't even talk about rugby or know about it. I know a couple other teachers, one of which did a straw poll amongst his class in Queensland and, None of them could even name any wallabies. But, you know, what – yeah, that could all change very quickly. I think this is people forget that, that you could easily introduce a generation of players and exciting things to kids. Because, you know, I didn't know who the hell George Gregan was until I was 12, but, geez, you know, he'd been around a couple of years before that. And it's like, you know, where does the – you know, it costs a lot of money to market the sport, costs a lot of money to expose it. But how could Rugby Australia smartly target public schools, young audiences, to try and just get rugby even in the conversation? Yeah, so I I can talk plenty about this, but having gone through the private system myself as a student, rugby had a mortgage, mate. You had kids that played league and soccer would come into high school in year seven, and if you wanted any social clout, you played rugby. And what team you were in was, was 
contingent on your social standing. Um, and the 16 A's, the first 15, they walked around on Hello like they were superior beings with their blazers embroidered. Rugby, rugby was life. Then I went to the public school system and um, it, it, it simply does not exist, um, but for the goodwill of a couple of teachers. Yeah. Um, so myself and Richard, who I do the podcast with, we had a couple of years there where we tried to get rugby up and running mm. and kids want to play sport. Um, so we had a bunch of league kids, other kids that didn't play sport, they were keen to give it a go. And sevens was this beautiful format because you didn't need to teach the intricacies of scrummaging, yeah. line out, um, you know, all those those really complex parts of the game. You didn't have to teach. These kids were familiar with those tags. They were familiar with touch. They had a league background. They loved sevens. You could grab kids and, and teach them sevens quickly. Mm. You know, a week or two of rucking and mauling, they, they grasped the basics. Then they'd watch tape. You'd watch the Fiji sevens team, and you could see it. It would catch like fire. Yeah. Um, and, and we went along and, and we played some tournaments. However, the that was purely our goodwill. The the public school structures are very difficult to get sport up and running. Um, and there was crickets from the ARU. Yeah. There was the odd competition that was ran, um, but slowly but surely they got further and further that you had to travel. Um, and then if if you reached out to them and asked for a training seminar, you would get a couple of young guys in the Tars Polo who had zero interest of being there, zero charisma, um, and you would look at them and think, why do they bother showing up? The kids were bored. They were bored. Yeah. Um, whereas you look at AFL or Rugby League, you reach out to them, you get four blokes from the Cronulla Sharks at your school. Mm. You get the Sydney Swans at your school. Quick smart. Everyone gets a footy. Everyone gets a hat. Everyone gets a scarf. And then it just sits within the school in terms of a pop cultural sense. So as we moved up in our careers, the scope to to run those programs, to take those kids diminished and, and there's no one else to do it. Yeah. There's one kid in the school who's South African that I have some banter with about rugby. Yeah. I don't reckon there's a single other student who would have known there was a World Cup on. And yeah. this is a Sutherland Shire affluent public high school. Um, yeah. It is just simply... It doesn't exist, mate. It doesn't exist. Now, I, I just don't think it'd be that hard. Get a few players out there, give out some merch, give out some tickets um, and promote sevens, run gala days, run tournaments, offer schools money for teacher relief to, mm. to send staff. There's It wouldn't cost much money, no. you know. And the money is spent on solely. You, you, could, you could get it back. You could get that contagious feeling for rugby. And I talk to some of those kids now, they've graduated, that I took on sevens when they're in year eight and nine, and they still talk to me. How fun was rugby, sir? I wish I kept playing rugby. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we lost them. We lost them to league a couple of years later, and now they're doing whatever. So I, I don't think it's impossible. But, mate, to say it doesn't have a presence is a comical understatement. It, yeah. it is as big as the polo. Like it, it's it's not there, mate. Lawn bowls gets a right up at our school. <laughs> I I do want it because you're right. Like the, what, where I think rugby Australia missed a trick. And look, I haven't done enough on this subject to probably be completely sure, but I do have a sense that in the late '90s, ARU professionalising the game, even to this day, they're ex players and people that have put forward community run, volunteer run programs. 
and it's been knocked back. Why? Because whether it's New South Wales Rugby Union or Rugby Australia, they want complete control and ownership over everything and they want to manage the execution of it. Now, if you've got development officers, well, that's great, but how many can get around an entire state? Whereas you've got 500 school teachers like yourself who all love rugby and throw in a couple of free tickets and something else. And well, they'll definitely run an after school program if that's all it takes. And it's the, to me, the, the big opportunity, and I've spoken about this um, a number of times, is the volunteer movement, the unpaid labor force that is the rugby volunteer movement. And all these people are in, we're in France, a lot of these people are in France, a lot of them are watching the game. They're like yourself. They will gladly try and set up a program. And I almost wonder whether kids are going to gravitate more towards their teacher, Mr. Smith or Mrs. Jones, than they would some random squad Mate, you've hit the nail of, on of, the, of the Waratahs who no one, not, not even some of us that follow the game even know. Rugby's relationships. Um, yeah. And I think you remember that coach. You remember that relationship that you had. And, mate, 100% right. They like they they couldn't have missed the trick further. Um, yeah, I was talking to a couple of other deputy principals who run the CHS program, which obviously rugby's a bit bigger there, and just shaking their heads, mate, at, at how hard it is to do anything in that space because mm. um, there's just, just cricket silence within that space. Um, but obviously, that's a real slow burn, right? You invest yeah. there; it's it's years till you see the payoff. But um, we're seeding territory there. I, I couldn't speak about the private school system. It was magic when I was a part of it. Um, but you hear bits and pieces that it's losing ground to soccer and AFL and, and all of yeah. those sorts of things as well. But I don't know, mate. I get, like I said, I'm just a fan. And, yeah. um, you know, yeah, Which, it's just frustrating. Where do you see? So 2024 is going to be a funny year because we've got no big. Um, no big sort of, you know, no big event. Um, we have obviously Super Rugby. You've got to have just the standard number of, obviously, the blood is slow and a standard number of tests, I believe. I'll fix it for you. Ready? Dan Herbert, get on the phone. Three test series against Japan. <laughs> let's get some drama. Let's let's book a big match. That will sell out. Make the ads about Eddie. Run those shit ads they spent money on with the French campaign. And give it a little spin with it, a few cuts of him. Yeah. No, I didn't do it, mate. Get those going. You get 100,000 out of the stadium. We'll actually beat Japan. Get that yeah. bloke with the yellow hat talking shit at Eddie. It'd be great. Put him in the VIP box. <laughs> That's it, mate. Let's go. Like, there, there, there is definitely something you could do there, and we would be successful. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Uh, I, I do wonder because there's supposed to be this new um, partnership, so I, I do wonder whether they'll uh, they'll lean into that partnership in year one. Um, but it is like looking ahead, like you know, where do you? I mean, obviously, as a tar, uh, sorry, the Brumbies fan, you've probably had the only saving grace for Super Rugby in, in recent years. But where do you see Super Rugby kind of playing out next year? Everyone's excited about the the Rebels with sort of Tupo and. You know they've sort of got a team that's sort of consolidating. I'm hoping I'm a force fan, so you know I know I'm going to be going He's through through oh, highs and lows as always. But you know that's all about consistency. Well, exactly, a different team every week. Well, yeah, there is a there is a there is a funny thing where although we're consistent in getting a lot of Kiwi imports, so um, but then that's also probably reflective of Perth rugby, to be honest with you. Um, but no, look, the Tars are sort of obviously Darren Coleman's going to be under you know, a bit of scrutiny in his sort of, you know, third season. 
Um, you know, what are your sort of takeaways in terms of Super Rugby? Where do you think kind of we can hope to see who's someone you know sort of pop away from the group, or is it just going to be the Brumbies sort of holding holding fort till they get into that? Right. The, the pessimist in me is like, all right, Rebels, yep, there's a bit of movement there, but, you know, what do we know about movement? It's never really a good thing. It always takes a year or two to gel, and, and that's the magic of the Brumbies. So the Rebels might get eyes on them with all the movement. I just question whether it will gel. And then it's also a shame rugby, right? Rebels killing it. That's going to be great. Three days later, you're reading the paper, Rebels about to go bankrupt. Yeah. Can't pay their tax bill. You know, for how awesome. How good. How good is this? Brummies, they're finally doing well. Brummies will be kicked out of the tournament. Like, you just can't. You just can't get a win. Um, optimistic about the Tars. Um, I, I think with Jorgensen and Nwangani Tawase and Parise, and I think with Donaldson fucking off, sorry, Force, I actually think that's a good thing for the Tars. I, I don't think he was adding a lot to that background, back line. Um, it's just whether they can get Bell playing every minute of every game, mm. um, whether they can be competitive and whether that who's that giant they've got in the second row, whether he comes on that new young kid. Oh, right. yeah, I think yeah. their tight five worries me a little bit. The, the, a bit of optimism around the Tars. Mm. Um, and then the Reds, I think in a post-Thorn age, are exciting because the raw talent of the Reds is, is off the charts. Um, but they just feel like they've been declining for, ever since the, what was that, COVID year when they lifted yeah. the Australian title. I feel like they've been in decline since then. So the optimist in me is looking at the start of the season. Sorry, for so there's nothing doing there. But the optimist is looking at the start of the season and thinking, all right, the Rebels could could have something here. The Tars, um, that's, a, that's an exciting team that's due to click and haven't moved many players around. Um, Reds, new coach, new setup. Brumbies, I think they might go backwards a little bit. Yeah. Um, with a bit of player change and McKellar leaving. But yeah. there's real optimism there. But all it will take is three weeks getting shellacked by the Kiwis to yeah. to make it pretty miserable again. So fingers crossed it starts well. We know welcome to you. Well, welcome to April. Just in time for Super <laughs> Round. You can go down to Exactly. <laughs> um in front yeah, of six people. It's funny because like you're right, long like I've I've noticed with the with the force, there's clearly there's an ambition at the force to do something different. They're clearly they're playing additional games against the cheaters. They've talked about trying to send you know teams on tours. They obviously have a bit of cash injection with uh, a mining billionaire to help them with that. But it does feel like the next breakout team in Super Rugby, in my mind, is going to be someone that does something a little more differently, whether it's an innovation or a tour or whether it's trying to sort of build their, you know, cohesion as I, as a word I love to talk about with a second team playing somewhere or just simply retaining players and retaining coaches and bunkering down for four or five seasons until, you know, they get a good solid which, outfit, which, which is, is what, what the, Brumbies the Brumbies typically always to, do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, but I think they've probably hit their ceiling. Yeah. Uh, and with a lot of, a few good players leaving there, yeah. Um, I'm I'm a little less optimistic, but I'm still hopeful. Still very very hopeful. I think the Tars are on that trajectory. Um, Reds are at a little bit of a restructure. I think Tupo leaving there could be colossal. I mean, you can basically map the Reds are good when Tupo plays this year when he doesn't. Yeah. Um, so I think he could be a big loss for the Reds, and they have to work their way around that. I'm very very excited. I'll go into it incredibly optimistically. 
because mm. um, it's a lot of young talent to be kept in show rugby. But like I said, if it comes super round and we're in Melbourne and we haven't beat a Kiwi team yet, you know, fuck, it'll be hard to be up and about for. Lastly, um, we haven't, and I, this was in my notes, um, I did have in my notes a few topics and I had Hamish McLennan and the Rebel Alliance which I just wrote because I thought, geez, that sounds like a bloody Star Wars um, thing. Anyway, uh, I've written here um, Wallaby Coach because that's still, um, there's a big question mark there. And I don't know if you saw the news today, but um, Checker is no longer Argentina. Well, and I don't know if this was news that he was going to leave, but Felipe Contepomi is now head coach. Right. Um, so is this the Prodigal Son Returns sequel? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and is it, made, could it, would it be a good thing, I guess, is the question. I guess a lot to like about Checker since he left Australian rugby. I think he's mm. he's, had, he's held his head really high in all his media, even the way he didn't want to wear the Argentinian kit around the Wallabies yeah. for quite some time. Um, I think he's, he's done a really, really good thing. I think he's done a decent job at Argentina. Mm. Um, I just think... Um, I said I really like the bloke, and I think he's a decent coach. I just think his last few years at the Wallabies, he'd sort of lost the plot there, yeah. Um, and tactically, um, so I think if Checker was to return, the goodwill wouldn't last long. We would turn on him pretty quickly. Whereas I feel like if you went a Joe Schmidt, um, you know, an established world class coach, there might be a little bit more breathing space, a bit more time, a bit more confidence. Yeah. Um, I don't mind Checker again. It's bums on seats. He's a dramatic dude. Um, but I, I doubt he'd be my pick. I doubt he'd be my pick. What do you think about it? Do you think? Well, yeah, I I think it's a bit of a return to the past, and we've tried that and it didn't work. I'd much rather see someone like perfect scenario is we have two brilliant seasons with the Brumbies and the Tars and whoever else making even if they make finals and have good years, and then you'd go, you know what? Maybe Coleman or Larkham is 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 ready to go. I guess that's my question: is Do you think the next coach of the of the Wallabies needs to be someone who's going to be around in twenty twenty seven? Do, yeah, do we need to pick a four year option, or can we look at a two year option with a potential overlap? You know, grooming through someone like a Larkham or a McKellar. Even I, th- I think you probably need the four year option. Um, and is McKellar there? He's probably a year or two off. Um, being there, but you know he's, he's not a bad option. A checker, I don't think we'd have the patience four years for him. Yeah. Um, and I, the mail I get on Coleman is that he's a bit of a weird cat. Doesn't <laughs> always get the player buy-in. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know if Larkham's got the runs on the board. He'd have to have two very, very good seasons at the Brumbies. I think the issue for him at the Brumbies is they're already pretty good. Yeah. So how does he stand out? So it doesn't look like he's just getting around when McKellar got. He's probably got to get to a final um, or lift the trophy. Can they do that? Probably not. Um, so La- Larkin was interviewed three, three, three or four months ago. I listened to this when I was in France, the Cup. We were dro- doing a lot of driving. We listened to podcasts. He was interviewed this year and I was asked about whether he wanted the Wallaby gig and he said no because he just said he wasn't ready yet. And so I yeah. can't imagine he's going to be ready now and he's probably not going to be ready in a year. No, but if they approach him, you wouldn't fault him for putting his, you know, name in the hat. I, yeah. I think it, it, it. I don't know. For me, it's probably Schmidt if he's yeah. if he's available. Um, but what a situation to be in! What a fuck up! Like we had Dave Rennie 
Yeah. Uh, and then the excitement of Eddie. What just what a disastrous twelve months. It's mind blowing when you when you think about it that we're here having this conversation. Yeah. Well, look, mate, it's it's like you said, I hope we can talk about the rugby. I feel that that's kind of where if there's a future in the sport, it it has to come on the field. It can't be business decisions and private equity deals and things like that. It starts. I don't want to usually ends any on of that. No. Yeah, I, I just want to enjoy the rugby and yeah. to go out there and think my team's half a chance of winning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mate, I appreciate it. I, I look forward to listening to you guys. Uh, I hope Jim... Uh, gets the guitar at some point next season. It's always a joy when he does, and it usually means that there's something exciting happening in the uh, <laughs> Australian rugby. But mate, really appreciate you coming on and and uh, giving me your uh, your thoughts. Uh, it, perhaps we didn't hit the umbrage levels. It's almost le- more level headed than uh, than I thought it would go. But I need Richard to roll me up with his British accent. Gets me going. <laughs> oh mate, look. Anyway, all the best, and mate, have a merry Christmas and. Uh, no doubt we'll be talking again in the future. Likewise. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is the Gold Digger podcast series. Available as a film, Gold Digger, The Search for Australian Rugby, on the Apple Store internationally and in Australia via Fox Docos, Binge and Apple. You can also get the book, Gold Digger, The Search for Australian Rugby, Thoughts and Conversations, in both ebook and paperback via Amazon. Music from this episode is by Ryan Papahatsis and Brad Vanderlucht from Fade Out Audio. Thanks for all the listeners and people who have commented and followed from day one. I really do appreciate it. It's the humble rugby servants across all the clubs, schools, communities, not just in Australia, but around the world, who keep the game alive. Until next time. Keep on digging.